Okay, uh, <coughs> tonight um, we, we're going to um, <coughs> tonight we're going to be looking at uh, Matthew chapter twenty-eight, kind of together, and we're going to just look at some of the things that um, I suppose are meaningful for us as individuals in the resurrection in Matthew twenty-eight, and how that how that works. You know, you know, I find that as you read the Word of God. Different things pop up for different people. And, and that's why the Word of God is so rich, because it can minister to you where you're at. And what you see could be so different to what someone else sees. And that's what makes it rich. That's what makes it personal. And, and I say this to people all the time. When you read the Word of God, don't just read a book, man. Do not just read a book. Ask God to do a miracle in your heart and to show you how this relates to you. Because God wants to actually come down. There's a transcendent God that wants you to touch Him. And that's what's great about the Word of God, that it can actually infuse into every individual's heart in a different way. And people can read the same verse but get several different things out of it. Not that it's kind of like multi-interpreted, but it's personal at times as well as contextual, if you understand that. If you don't, well, that's cool. You don't have to understand that. Um, so yeah, so tonight uh, Bonnie's just going to share a little bit, Brett and, and myself, and so yeah. Ooh, yeah. No, um, yeah, anyway, I was reading through Matthew 28 this week, as you just heard. Um, yeah, and I think, I'll go about three things that stuck out to me, um, so I'd just like to share them with you. She's yeah. got a three-point sermon, I've got a three-point sermon, Brett's got a three-point sermon. Hey, get comfortable. <laughs> it's, it's not going to be long, <laughs> I'll be quick. No, I'll be short. No, I'll be quick, it's all right. Um, <laughs> Yeah, so, Matthew 28, eh? Well, anyway, as I was reading through, you probably all know the thing, Mary and Mary go and visit the tomb, and then there's an earthquake, and then there's the angel, and then the angel tells them to go um, tell the disciples that Jesus has risen. So it says that the women ran quickly from the tomb. They were very frightened, but also filled with great joy, and they rushed to give the disciples the angel's message. Then anyway, Jesus comes and meets them, and they run to him, grasp his feet, and worship him. And then this is what Jesus says, you ready? There's one word that sticks out to me. It says, Then Jesus said to them, Don't be afraid. Go tell my brothers to leave for Galilee, and they will see me there. I don't know what sticks out to you. I'll, tell you, I'll give you a clue. It's not Galilee, and it's not two. No, jokes. Um, <laughs> hey, Brett's on the ball. He's got it. Anyway, um, yeah, so, I mean, the word that sticks out to me is brothers, the fact that Jesus, <laughs> were you guessing? I was, oh, sorry. Anyway, um, yeah, the word that sticks out to me is brothers, and, you know, the reason that it sticks out to me is because, I mean, you think about what had just happened to Jesus. I mean, in the Garden of Gethsemane when they were there and, and Jesus was praying and the, the soldiers came up to arrest Jesus. It says in the Bible that all the disciples deserted him and fled. Mm. It says all the disciples deserted him and ran away. And I mean, they'd been traveling with Jesus. They'd been talking with Jesus for three years, like together. They were pretty, pretty tight. And I mean, then all of a sudden, they just deserted him and, and fled. I mean, they, they were the ones, they were the very ones who'd seen Jesus feed 5,000 people. They'd seen Jesus feed 4,000 people. They'd, they'd been with Jesus when he hopped in the boat and told the waves to shut up and then they just stopped. You know what I mean? He was there with them when Jesus was walking on the water and mm. Peter was there when he was walking on the water. You know, and it was like, they, they were there when they saw Jesus um, 
you know, when the blind man said, if you're willing, Lord, make me, make me clean, heal me. And Jesus says, I'm willing, be healed. And all of a sudden he could see. He was, they were with him when um, the dude with leprosy got healed. I mean, I did, um, an ass- <laughs> Sorry. I did an assignment last year in science on leprosy. And it was a sh- it's horrible that the people with leprosy used to get, like, cast out of their towns and their homes. And um, we, I Googled some pictures of it. And um, it was actually real visible um, sickness. You could actually see it on their skin. It was really disgusting. But, you know, and Jesus said, be healed to this guy with leprosy. And it says in the Bible, instantly he was healed. Instantly it was just gone. It was there and then it's gone. Like they were with him. They were eyewitnessing that very, all these miracles that Jesus did. And then all of a sudden they deserted him and fled. And on top of that, Judas just betrayed him. On top of that, Peter denied that he even knew Jesus. Like when I read it, I'm like, dang. Because like you read about Peter and he sounds really cool, like all the things that he does. And now, you know, and they're kind of like, oh. Because, you know, he says... He says to the people who are like, aren't you, aren't you one of Jesus' followers? And he's like, no, I don't, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't know this man. And then he says, a curse on me if I'm lying. I don't know what you're talking about. And Jesus, Jesus it says in one of the Gospels, looks straight at Peter when he says that. And, Je- and then, all, you know, Jesus has been doing these things as he's walking with them. And there's this trust in these relationships. And all of a sudden they desert him and fled and ran away from him. And then that's kind of the last you hear Jesus really, I don't know. But then... Um, when Jesus talks to the ladies, he says, go and tell my brothers. He doesn't hold this grudge. He doesn't really matter what the disciples did. It didn't matter to him where they'd been and, and what they did and what they said. Jesus still accepted them. He still called them friend. They still call them brother. And, you know, it's the same for you. It doesn't matter where you've been. It doesn't matter, you know, what you've said, what you've done. Jesus still has those arms open wide and still accepts you. He still wants to call you brother. He still wants to call you friend. And um, that's point number one. Woo. Thank you, thank you, thank you. Um, point number two, no, I shouldn't do that, eh? I'll, I'll make it fit in the next point. I'll try not to say it. Go ahead. Okay. Oh, no, it's all right. Um, yeah. Anyway, so, also in Matthew 28, verse 2, um, suddenly there was a great earthquake, for an angel of the Lord came down from heaven, rolled aside the stone, and sat on it. And I really like the idea of um, this stone being rolled away, like the fact that Jesus wasn't, in that grave anymore. He wasn't in that tomb anymore. He, was, he just wasn't there. He was gone. He was risen. And that tomb was completely empty And because the angel had rolled aside the stone. And I mean, I'm kind of stealing this from you, Roger, because you said it last year at Easter. And I had, I had the CD and I listened to it. So, yeah. Sorry. Um, it's in the Bible. It's not me. <laughs> oh, okay. Um, it says, is... Yeah, anyway. So the question I have for you guys is, is that stone rolled away from your heart? And this is your line, Rog. Is Jesus still dead in the tomb to you? Because if he's still in the tomb, he's not in your heart. Uh, that was serious. No, that's a real, it's a real challenge. Okay, yeah. You know, because when, when Jesus returns, he's not coming to collect dead people. He's not coming um, to collect people who's, who's still got that stone in front of their heart, who are still hard towards God and haven't actually let him in. Because God is, I've read this way, he's the God of the living, not the dead. Yeah. And God is yeah. alive. He rose from the dead. He's, he's not in the tomb anymore. He's alive. And he's coming to collect alive people. Amen. And so then the question that you need to ask yourself is, am I actually alive? Is mm. Jesus out of the tomb in my life? Or, or is Jesus someone who you might take him out on a Sunday, but then you go, oh, Jesus, and then you push him back in the tomb and then shut the, shut the stone, mm. push the stone across and seal it for the rest of the week. And then at Sunday, you say, oh, come out, Jesus. You know, oh, you're so good, God. You rose again. 
And then on, you know, on the weekdays you go, oh, no, Jesus. And you live like Jesus is dead the rest of your life, rest of the week. And so I guess, yeah, uh, I couldn't do it. Sorry, this is point three. Um, <laughs> yeah, I was thinking about when I was speaking about what to say. I had a cool little sermon title, but it's not a sermon, but I thought it would be cool. It's if Jesus didn't rise. Yeah, so you want to write, I don't know, take notes. That's what I was going to talk about. If Jesus didn't rise. Um, I was talking to someone. You know, this is like the whole resurrection thing. It's really... Um, it's really so important, and I think I used to not really understand that. Like, I was speaking to someone last year at um, this merge thing we did for youth, and um, I, told, I was speaking to her, and I told her, like, the full gospel, and I was doing it all, and, and um, I got to the, um, it got to the part, like, where Jesus is dying, and I went through it all, and why he had to die, and, and how he took away our sins, and stuff like that. And then I felt like I'd kind of done it all, like I didn't need to go any further, but I still hadn't told her about Jesus rose from the dead, so I'm like, and then guess what? Jesus rose from the dead. And she's like, <laughs> yeah. And I'm like, oh, that sounded so bad. Like it sounded, but you know, it's, it, it really is so important. And if Jesus didn't, didn't rise, if Jesus didn't rise, because you think about it, if Jesus didn't rise, the disciples, it says in another gospel, they were meeting behind um, locked doors because they were afraid of the um, leading priests and what they'd do to them. And so if Jesus didn't die, these disciples would have died they would have died in fear. They would have died totally confused. They were thinking, I thought, I thought Jesus was the son of God, but now he's dead and, and he's just dead. They would die um, wondering if they'd believed a lie their whole life. They'd, lie, they'd die angry. They'd die sad. They'd die confused. They'd, you know, they wouldn't, you know, if Jesus didn't rise, then we wouldn't be here because there wouldn't yeah. be any Christianity. Yeah, because I mean. if Jesus didn't rise, then... Jesus was just a good man who was a prophet who healed lots of people. But then that's it. He just died and that's the end. I mean, we all die and that's the end. But it's, it's different because Jesus did rise, you know what I mean? And yep. If Jesus didn't rise, then what hope do we have of rising from the dead? What, what hope do we have to go into heaven and have eternal life? There'd be no hope for us. There'd be no eternal life. And if Jesus didn't rise, then there'd be no purpose. There'd yep. be no purpose to, for the apostles to go around preaching and telling people about God. No, it wouldn't, it wouldn't matter. But because, you know, this is the good news. This is, I mean, we were watching The Passion on Friday and they spend the whole two hours talking about Jesus' death and two minutes about the resurrection. And so you get in a really kind of depressed mood and you're just kind of like, oh, and the movie finishes and you're like, oh. And, you know, but that, that's not the end, you know what I mean? Like, I mean. Yeah, it's, not, it's actually the beginning. It says here... Early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, the new day was dawning, it was the beginning kind of thing, Jesus rising again, you know, Jesus did rise, which means that we do have purpose, it means that the disciples didn't die in fear and trembling and in confusion, they actually died with boldness and courage and joy and love, preaching the gospel, they went out onto the side of the streets and they, they proclaimed the name of Jesus, they went and healed people, they went to prison and they got flogged and they left rejoicing that they were worthy for suffering the Amen. name of Jesus. They didn't die sad. They died overflowing with joy. You know, and, and why we're standing here now is because Jesus did rise. There is purpose. There is joy. This is like where the joy comes in, you know what I mean? Like you read the whole Gospels and the last chapter, it's actually, this is where the hope is. This is where the joy is. This is really the foundation, I suppose, of, of, of us, of Christianity, of, of, of you and me. Well, that sounded a bit lame, sorry. Of, yeah, I know. Yeah, that's my point. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Just um, 
<clears throat> I, could, I could really just, some of the points Bonnie brought out just really um, just impact me. I mean, I can't even remember saying that, you know, if Jesus is still in the grave, then he's not in your heart. I mean, maybe we should turn that into a rap sometime, Henry. And, um, but, uh, yeah, wow, that's so true. If Jesus is not alive in your heart, then he's still in the grave. He's still dead. He's still not real. He's, uh, he's a belief system, but he's not a reality. And just even as Bonnie's saying, saying the whole thing, that at one, the Garden of Gethsemane, the, the disciples deserted Jesus. They deserted Jesus. They actually left Jesus. And that just automatically, that saddens my heart. It really does. It just, um, just really puts a real, I suppose, grief in my heart that, that people could see so much, you'd get so little. And I think that can be for anyone here, that we could see so much of God. We could touch so much. We could hear so much, but we could get so little out of God. And that, that's a real... Oh, that makes me mourn. Oh, this morning, I had a friend here, some of you might have met him, uh, that, that came to faith around the same time as me in New Zealand in the same church, and uh, he's serving in uh, Borkham Hills right now as a, um, a kind of associate pastor in a church over there. And uh, <coughs> he was just telling me how he was back in uh, New Zealand beginning of the year. And um, one of the things he was telling me, which was really exciting, um, that his brother is uh, over in India, church planting in Bangalore. And I was like, whoa, that's so cool. Uh, his brother was a um, male stripper when, when we were come to faith. And uh, he was a male stripper and he was a dancer. And uh, th- yeah, this guy was, yeah, he was all into himself. I mean, you've got to be to be a male stripper. Uh, well, you know, he was real kind of toy boy, pretty boy. Uh, you know, I'll give him as many names as you want. He was that plus and uh, right into kind of looking good, going to the gym. And he got saved, you know, while he was a stripper, you know, and he had to come to grips with all that. And he was still dancing, you know what I mean? So he was dancing in the clubs and he was dancing like, you know, when you have the rugby league kind of grand finals and that, and then out comes your brother with all the girls dancing and you're like, Joe would always be like, that's my brother. Look at him. Who does he think he is? And... Um, Anyway, he came to faith, and he had a real rocky road. And um, just uh, over the last few years, has just gone on and really just allowed God to do a massive work in his life. And he's serving in, in India right now, church planting. And I'm like, that's awesome to me. That's real awesome, you know. I was just blown away, and I was just rejoicing with the angels right there and then with Joe. And, but then on the other sad side, Joe was telling me some other stories of just one of the other guys that came to faith not before us, how that he's, um, you know, and he was about 30 when he got saved and, and God saved him out of the drug culture and the alcohol culture, LSD, acid, this guy was doing everything, you know, you could see that he had a few, few, few kind of brains kind of that got loft, left out in those drug taking years, but anyway, he, he went on real strong and, and uh, but Joe was just telling me how he'd um, just gone straight back, he's about in the mid 40s now, he'd gone back into drugs and back into alcohol and, uh, it's sad in my heart, you know, and uh, because I, I really do get sad when, when people drift from the faith. I ask myself the question, what is it, God? Where, is, where were they really at in the first place? What, what were they holding on to? Were they really grounded? Did, did we miss some form of important discipleship in them? You go through a lot of questions in your own mind when you see people drift away. 
you, even if, if you're a person that, that heavily disciples, a lot of things go through your own heart. And so when Bonnie's just sharing about the disciples drifted away, but, 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 but here Jesus says, go and tell them I'm coming. Go and tell them I'm coming back. And one of the things that he also tells them, and my challenge to you is he, he says to them, I've been given all authority. And I don't know about you, but I think one thing everyone struggles with is authority. They struggle with authority. They struggle. I'm, I'm, I'm sure you're a young person that struggles being told off by mum or dad, being told what to do, being told to clean your room, being told to pick after yourself, being told to help out and clean the house. I'm, I'm sure. Is there anyone here that doesn't struggle with that? We all struggle with authority. Um, and even the older you get, it's still not easier. It's harder to, to, to hear authority at times. But you know, one of the greatest things that, that Jesus did here is that he said, I've been given all authority by the Father, and he gives that authority to you. And, and the authority you get from Jesus is, is such, it's, it's a humbling authority, but it's a powerful authority. And I, I find that when we walk real close to God in all humility, with all meekness, and just wanting to be close to Him, God gives you an authority where the Scriptures say that no law can come against you. The Scriptures say that the fruit of the Spirit so abounds in your life that, that no one can come against you. That when you walk the footsteps of the authority that Jesus gives you, that, that when people come again, when people actually, I mean, I've had people come against me. I've had people write letters against me. I've had people swear at me. I've had people, I've had my own family totally reject who I am and what I believe in. Totally tell me to be quiet. But when you stand on the authority of Jesus, that authority comes to bless your life, and people cannot budge against it. Sooner or later, they come back and they respect that authority. They respect that authority in the name of Jesus because they realize they actually had nothing to speak against you about. It comes back in a powerful way. And I know you struggle with authority, but let me tell you this. Jesus is wanting to give you authority. He's wanting to give you authority on earth that will make your faith bigger. It will make your faith greater. It will make your faith dynamic where no one can speak against anything that you do. Even though they speak against it, they will go away with their hearts convicted. And they will come back one day and they will ask you the question, on whose authority do you live by? Um, where is it? Do you get your faith? Where is it? Do you get your love? People have mocked me, but they've come to faith. People have rejected me. My family have rejected me, but they've, they've said to me in front of my face, I understand that this is the greatest thing that you could ever live for. I understand that you've got something great in your life. My, my, my best man, mocked me in front of everyone in the pub when I first came to faith. Today, he serves in Burma, praising our Lord. 
The authority that Jesus wants to give you is far beyond a man's authority. It's an authority that works out of the heavens and blesses your life because it can work in humility and meekness and boldness and confidence. And if we, as young people and older people, if we could grab hold of the authority that Jesus wants to give you, it won't be a proud authority that makes you egotistical and wants you to be all and end all. It will make you an authority that people will stand up and they will listen and they will respect you. Take hold of the authority that Jesus wants to give you. And he said this, and the authority I give you, I commission you to go into all the world and to make disciples. Man, what an authority. That you can change the course of history on the authority of Jesus. That you can change the course of your family on the authority of Jesus. That you can change your friends on the authority of Jesus. What an authority, amen? amen. Why don't we live in it? Why don't we take hold of it? Why don't we grasp the authority that Jesus wants to give you? Isn't it interesting that in the scriptures in Matthew chapter 28, when Jesus says, go make new disciples, something really interesting happened just before that. There was this angel that stood in front of these soldiers. I don't know, if an angel stood in front of me, like physically, kind of like I saw an angel standing in front of me, I'd be kind of like, whoa, this is true. You know what I mean? It says that there was this real bright white light and, and there's this angel standing there and, and, and these, these guards, it says that they kind of like stood there kind of like dead faint, kind of somehow. But then it says that they went to, straight to the priests and they went and they told the priests and the priests told them to tell a lie and it says that the scripture says that they told a lie and that that story continues to, to, till today about that lie that someone kind of like took the body. That lie, they says in the scriptures, still continues today. But we don't hear about it. Even though the angels stood in front of the guards, they went, and went to the priest, and the priest told them to tell a lie, and so they continued on down that line. But then it says that then the angel went and he stood before the ladies, and they went straight to those that believed. And which story is more powerful? The power of the story of Jesus, because that's the authority. And if you want a story to continue, if you want your life to continue to have impact and influence in this world, if you take hold of the resurrection story and you tell the world on the authority of Jesus, then your story of what God can do in your life can continue not just today, but 10 years down the track, 20 years down the track. 20 years ago, my mate that was a male stripper got saved, and I'm praising God's name for what he's doing today. And I haven't seen him for 18 years. What a story that continues today on the authority of Jesus. And I'm going to praise the Lord. But you know the story of what the guards did? I only read about it in the Bible and I forget about it straight away. Because really it doesn't continue. There's no authority. There's no power. There's no power in the lie that they told because a lie and a life 
that's filled with deception will slowly fade away and it will have no story. Amen? Amen. Yeah, it's interesting you, you mentioned that thing about authority, Roger. Like, I probably feel a bit differently in the, for eight years of my life I was in the army. And so I guess authority to me was something where someone would release me into something. But um, to, to lay hold of, of what Rog was talking about there, I mean, I think that's a journey, if I'm honest, that personally I'm still on. And to be able to go, you know what, this is what I believe that God is saying to me and not have to look around over my shoulder to see if anyone else is saying, no, it's okay. But to, to tune in to what God is saying and if you really step out in that, that's a, that's a life-changing thing. A life-changing thing. And I think, um, I don't know, that's maybe one way that I'm a bit different to a lot of people here. I think um, to give you a bit of personal insight into me, uh, Renata came home during the week and she'd done one of those personality profilers. I don't know if you do those. And she brought home some words about what it meant to be this and that. And there was this one sentence that I just read and groaned. Um, it said, um, this kind of person um, doesn't like change and does not thrive in environments where things change a lot. And I'm just like, oh, no. And I just went up and I talked to her and I said, babe, look, this, this really worries me. And she goes, it worries you? <laughs> you know, she goes, we come and we do youth and we do something for two weeks and you think we've got it all sorted out, and then you move on to the next thing, you know, and she says, I'm standing there going, come on, you know, just work a little harder, and even uh, most of our conversations, I'll like start something, and then Renata just stands there and goes, are you, are you going to finish your sentence? You know, I get halfway through something, and then another thought occurs to me, and I just hear off in a, in a different direction, and I guess just coming with that, even tonight, I just want to encourage you. If you're sitting here and you go, man, I don't get into the Bible. I don't get into God's Word. It's real hard. This week, we're just talking about what we're going to do. And Roger suggested we have a look at Matthew 28. And I got like a sentence into the thing and got distracted. So, but then I don't know if it was a distraction or if it was something that God actually said, and I'm sitting here thinking and listening to what Bonnie's saying, and I looked over at her Bible, and I got real nervous because she had actually underlined the exact same phrase that I had underlined, and I thought you were going to steal it, but I don't know. I'm going to say it anyway. But it just says this, early on Sunday morning, as the new day was dawning, and that's as far as I got, you know, and then I was just like, Foo! off somewhere else. And I don't know, sometimes I think that's, not a bad thing. If you open your Bible and you sit there and then you go off in a direction, just chase it down. If you're sitting there talking to God and something comes into your head, just follow it. Just go with God wherever you go. Because I kind of look at that and I just think, that's where the power is. And that today, a new day has dawned. And even as we sit here after sunset, a new day is on the verge of dawning. And that's, that's good news. 
Because the thing about a new day dawning is that there has to be some darkness. And I don't know what about your life. I don't know where you're at right now, but I just know that I've collided with some darkness a lot in my life and it sucks. You know, I, I go home sometimes and foolishly I stay out probably then later than is better for me sometimes and I get home and I've gone and got it worked out that if I come in the door and I've got to lift our fly screen because if I don't lift our fly screen it goes as I come in and then as a light sleeper so I've got to lift the fly screen and then I get in and I open the door and if I then step and then walk about 12 paces and then I turn to the left that then gets me into the corridor and then like three steps and then I turn to the left again and then about five steps that usually gets me into our bedroom. And that's quite good. But uh, the other night I came home and I'm like, oh, I'm just so tired. I just put my stuff on the table. And I've walked across and I've got halfway across the living room and I have just, oh, well, I haven't even really kicked it. But we've got a coffee table that's about that high. And someone thought it was a really good idea to make coffee tables that come to an edge like that. And so I've just come in and just gone, Ding, ah, be quiet, you know? And, <laughs> and then, as she usually does, despite my best attempts, my beautiful wife says, hey, baby, are you home? And as much as I'm tempted to go, no, it's a burglar, I, I usually go, no, yes, I, I am home. And um, all my efforts have come to naught. But I think I never liked being in the dark. Never, even even as a kid, and I've told some guys before, I used to walk into my room and I'd pull back the, the doona and then I'd walk back to the door and have one hand on the door frame like this where the light switch was and I'd be like, three, two, one. And then you'd be under the sheets, you know, because I just, I just don't like the dark. And oh, there you go. So if you scare me, I'm going to kill you. Okay, no. I think... God's, yeah. <laughs> ah, no, <laughs> that's cool, but as I kind of think about darkness, I don't, we kind of, it works our, its way into our life in a lot of different ways, and in this last week, um, I've had to stand by and watch as, as my wife has seen someone who's very close to her right to her and say I think that that what you do is poisoning the minds of young people I think that what you do is spreading great evil in this world and if you continue to do that then I will end this relationship that's dark I don't know if you've ever had an experience like that I know there's people here, and I, I spent I spent most of Thursday night walking around after a young guy who, in his whole life, has one person that he confides in, one person that he can he feels he can really be himself in front of, and that guy's got a terminal illness, and so this whole this guy's whole life has been turned upside down. He doesn't stay in school and right now he's even having difficulty staying at home. I don't know if you've ever dealt with that kind of darkness in your life. 
where you get to that point of desperation and you say to God, God, what are you doing? You've taken my friends. You've taken my family. And right now as I sit here, the only friend that I have is this darkness that just keeps dragging me down. And you sit in that despair. And you just go, God, where are you? You might be here, but I can't see you. You might be near, but I can't feel you right now. Where are you? What are you doing? It's a dark place to be. Maybe too, you know, that the Word of God actually says, talks about a person who actually sits and eats in darkness all their days. Actually, in Ecclesiastes chapter 5, verse 17, or 16 and 17, but it talks about people who work hard, who work hard. And I kind of picture like a, a room and you sit down and sometimes I sit and I'm kind of writing, you know, sticking to my one-syllable words, trying to be as articulate as I can. Well, that was three. But you sit there in a room and often in our house, thank you, Will, but in our house we like to keep the windows open um, and the blinds up just so, you know, it's natural light. And you I sit there and as I'm writing, the sun starts to set and you kind of go, oh, no, I'm okay. I can still see. You keep writing. Oh, I'm okay. And, you know, you're kind of bending down and getting closer. And then you kind of realize that where there was light, there's no light anymore. I don't know if you get to a point in your life where, where you're doing stuff that, that once had purpose, but the light of that purpose in your life has actually faded. And so you're still, you're still going through the routine. You're still doing the activity. But even while you're doing those things within you, this darkness has crept up on you. And I've been in those places and, and you get real good at not stopping. You get real good at finding something else to do. And then you find suddenly that you've, you've found something to do over here and over here and over here and you're pulled in all these different directions and you're stretched so thin just because you don't want to ask that question. What has happened? And you've got this frustration coming out of you that you don't even know where it was. And you've got this anger and people that you care about you're short with because you've just got this stuff inside you that you can't deal with and that where there was direction, you've just lost purpose. And there's that darkness within and you just go, I don't, I don't want to deal with it right now. Sometimes that leads you to do crazy things. Sometimes I've even, you know, and people who know me here will tell you that they can tell when I'm in that space. You know, there's a guy here who said to me, mate, I see it and I don't want to talk to you because I'm scared of how you react. And that's, 
It's again a dark place to be. Different, but still dark. And then, I don't know, as I think about the kind of the darkness that hits our lives, I think sometimes the most agonizing and the most frustrating darkness is when you've actually been in a place of light. But then you've walked off in a different direction. You know, it's kind of like walking through the bush and you go, oh, that's a nice tree. Oh, that's a nice tree. Oh, look at the pretty flower. Oh, look over here. Oh, hey, look, there's a lizard. Oh, where's the lizard going? And This isn't where I was going before, you know. And I, I don't know about you, but I find that sometimes the hardest darkness to deal with because you don't notice it coming. But the, the things you do in your life, the practices of your life have led you away. And I know, like God, God actually says this, and this is, this is a difficult truth to digest, but God actually says, if we say we have fellowship with God, if we say that we are sharing our lives with God, but we go on living in spiritual darkness, we are not living the truth. And that's a difficult darkness to, to even be aware of in your life. And it's a real hard one to pin down because it's easy to read that and go, I'm not in the dark. I go to church. I'm not in the dark. I'm, I'm connected with other Christians. Or when you talk about darkness, Brett, you're talking about that person over there. You're talking about that activity over there. I'm not in the dark. And I guess the difficulty is, is that that leads to this last kind of darkness that I see. And it's kind of weird, but the kind of the picture that I have is just people who put their fingers in their ears. And God is speaking to you. He's speaking to you tonight, and maybe he's speaking to you for, for the last week. For some of you, he's been speaking to you for months. And he's been saying, just, just come. Just step into my light. And you're just sitting there going, no. I don't want to hear it. I don't want to hear it, God. Just go away. And the darkness comes because we close our eyes. And God's saying, just, just come. And we push him away. We rebel against the message of God that he's trying to speak into our lives. And that's probably the most destructive darkness of all. Because if you're choosing to put your fingers in your ears, there comes a point where the light of God is something that you can't hear that message. If you're choosing to shut your eyes, it doesn't matter how brightly lit the room is in front of you. You're not going to see. 
It doesn't matter how many signposts there are. If you've closed your eyes to what God is saying, if you've closed your eyes to the light of God, that's a destructive place. And I don't know any escape. And I don't know if you've ever experienced any of that darkness in your life. But Jesus says a new day is dawning. We used to go out on exercise in a place called Madura, which is just to the north of Canberra. And so you have to sit up all night looking out for the baddies. It sucked because everyone knew that there were no baddies. Matter of fact, as you lay there, you'd look out and you'd look out over a couple of hectares of bushland and you could see a forest over here and a mountain range. But between the forest and the mountain range was Canberra. And after you'd been to Canberra for a couple of weeks, really, because it's not that big, you could actually pick out the familiar lights. You could actually go, hey, that's my, hey, someone's in my bedroom. No, never did that. But you could actually pick out the lights and you go, oh, there's Parliament House. And oh, there's that street where the pub is. And, and you're sitting there just going, this is just dumb. Just dumb. And you'd be out there for like a week. And after three days of nothing happening, you're going, okay. So this is the exercise where they train us in how to be patient. You know, it's like, I tell you what, you stay awake for half an hour and I'll sleep and then we'll change. That was a bad thing. I did that once. We wake up in the morning. It's not a good thing. But especially when someone's sitting there going, hey, <laughs> okay, not good. But you sit there and Majura is a cold place. People lay there with water bottles, thick plastic water bottles, not these like Mount Franklin things, but kind of like more like the, uh, the hiking water bottles you get. And they would freeze. And I'm not just talking about a layer of ice on the top. They were frozen solid. And you'd be sitting there, and especially if you're on from about 3.30, you're going to get everything you own and put it on and just lie there, which was good because it kept you awake. But you're freezing, and then right at about 4.30, it just goes, and it gets even colder. And you start, and you start to just kind of lose energy, and you're just like, oh, this really sucks. And that's about that time when all the conversation just stops. You know, no one's cracking jokes. Everyone's just looking at the lights going, stinking bed. Heater, I want it, you know. But then just after it gets coldest and you get tiredest, it's when you kind of start to see just way off in the sky, just that little bit of the change of colour. And you hear the sounds of the night start to die away. And the colour becomes brighter and it spreads a bit more. And that's when everything just goes real quiet. And sometimes you can hear someone right in the centre of town start their car and because of the time, the noise just travels. And then as that happens, you'll see a crack on the horizon. And I'll tell you what, if you've never experienced it, it looks like pure gold it's like this fire just glowing and as it happens there's no warmth coming you're going come on you know and you're waiting but then the sun 
just breaks above the horizon and you just feel it on your face. You know, through the layers of dirt and grime, you're just like, oh. And you can feel it hit you in the chest and slowly you start to move and you start to come back to life. And that's why I love the new day dawning. Because it doesn't matter how dark it's been, there's hope. It doesn't matter how cold you've been, how still you've been lying, the sun will rise and bring life. And Jesus said, I am the light of the world. He who follows me will not walk in darkness, but my light gives life to the world. Do you need a bit of life tonight? Have you been stumbling around in that darkness tonight? Jesus is saying, come back. Come home. If you're in pain tonight, you need to know that God says, I catch your tears in my hands. I record your sorrows in my book. Let me share your pain. You've lost purpose in your life. Jesus says, come to me. I don't care who you are. I don't care what your background is. I don't care how badly you're doing at school. But you and me will change the world. Even if you're sitting here tonight. And you're saying, God, I was there once, but now. I'm so lost. I don't even know where I was. I once had that passion in my heart. I once had that fire in my life. But right now, I've got nothing. God is standing at the gates of heaven waiting for you to come home. Mm. With the words that Bonnie said, he's saying, come home. And if you're sitting here tonight and you haven't heard the voice of God, then take your fingers out of your ears. Open your eyes because God is not far from you right now. The Word of God records a man who saw angels moving up and down to heaven. And in the morning he woke up and he said, God was here and I didn't know. God is here tonight. I don't know where you are tonight. But let today be a new dawn. Let the light of Jesus into your life in places that you haven't let it before. Reach out and grab hold of that hand of comfort that Jesus offers. And I, I want to give you the opportunity to do that tonight. I just feel like there's some people that, that God is, is stretching his hand out to. You know, you may feel that, that God has, has spoken to you tonight. 
But as you, as you move to respond, I guarantee you that there'll be a hundred voices trying to shout you down. Mm. No. It's okay. I can keep going. I can handle this. I'm doing okay. What will people think? Tell you what. Faith is hearing those voices, hearing those thoughts and going, I don't care. Jesus, you are still my hope. You are the one for me. So I want to give you the opportunity right now as we sit here, as we're looking at each other, human beings to human beings, to say, Jesus, step into the darkness in my life. Mm. Light of the world, become the light of my life. Mm. Mm. And as you think about that, I just want to invite the team from tonight who are praying with us upstairs. If you, if you want to come down, because tonight you're going to be the passage of light into someone's life. So if you are upstairs earlier, I just want to invite you to move, move to the front now. Just, just take up a position somewhere just where you can pray for someone, where you can share the light of Jesus. And as we sit here, and maybe, I don't know, maybe it's even some of these guys here, but if you're sitting here tonight and you're saying, Jesus, I want your light to shine into my life. I want you to warm my body. I want you to warm my soul tonight. And while the lights are still up and people are still looking at you, invite you to stand tonight if you believe that God has spoken to you to stand